Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, what an exciting time of the year it is. Yes, it is. It's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. It's football oh, it season. It is football season. We're back in gear. We're back. I, I think love it. Five five straight days. There are football games from last night uh, all the way yeah. through Labor Day. So, yeah, it's uh, NF- chock NF- full of football. Yeah, NFL <laughs> preseason's cranked up. Yeah, you know, good time of the getting year. To be, getting to be fun, getting to be fun. And speaking of fun, you know, speaking <laughs> of things heating up, this trade war is heating up. I know you're it? not saying the trade war is fun, right? <laughs> not fun, but no. it is heating up. Yeah, we're going to dive Yikes. into this a little bit. Uh, pretty good perspective. Um, this is a, a lawyer uh, used to be on the actually the administration and has some inside uh, information on this. Um, that uh, just di- a different look and and basically short term gain or pain for a long term gain is his uh, his perspective on it. So we'll dive into that and see what he has to say on it. Certainly been in uh, the the news a lot over the last year. Yeah, good perspective, and surprisingly from CNN Business, so uh, that'll be interesting to hear. And we're also going to talk about some billion-dollar companies that are now penny stocks. John, Yeah, but they probably had good dividends at one point, didn't they? At some point, they were very attractive, but now those dividends aren't so attractive Mm, anymore. So, uh, Yeah, and there were big companies, big S&P-type companies. So, uh, you know, over the last decade, lots changed, and just... I think it's good to re- to get some perspective and review history and you know kind of kind of help us you know not be tempted to chase some of those mm-hmm. high dividend stocks that are out there. Um but by the way I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 24 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have the podcast link that you can listen to it directly from your computer or download the historical ones. A lot of tools out there, some financial calculators, uh, information on college majors. Uh, we have a lot of lot of activities out there on the website. We've spent a lot of time on that. Uh, also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD, and also a Twitter handle as well. Yeah, so do check us out on our website, and you can email us your questions directly. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Pew Research, and um, you know it's not un- unsurprising, this fact. If you look back 10 years ago in 2009, just about a third of Americans viewed China unfavorably, and that's all the way up to about 60%. So certainly... You know, a lot of news about the trade negotiations and, um, you know, whether you agree or disagree with it. Um, you know, I think it's certainly the, the trade impacts um, businesses and the way they right. operate. And if there's one country that has an advantage over another one unfairly, then, you know, it needs to be addressed. And that's kind of what's happening right now. But a lot of people don't like the Chinese. And I'm sure if you did this survey over in China, it'd probably look the yeah. same for American. Yeah. And I don't have anything against the Chinese. The Chinese people are fine. It's their government that that is, I think, perpetrating all of this, uh, you know, unfair trade practices. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, if you've been paying attention to the news the last 10 years, last decade, 
I mean, China has been going on and on, on and on, you know, with cheating. And I think this trade war has just brought that to the attention of people. And that's the reason why mm-hmm. opinions have changed, because most people don't pay attention to the news. But, you know, over the years, they've been manip- manipulating their currency. They've, uh, you know, they've gone as far as dredge up an island in the, you know, South China Sea to claim that that sea is their own, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, push, the, I think it's the Philippines, you know, out of there. And, um you know, they knock off all of our products when we send something over there to be be manufactured. They knock it off, and, you know, you can buy their golf, Callaway golf clubs that are just some knockoff cheap brand, you know, from over there. So they've been doing this for years and years, dumping tires and other products on the U.S. markets below cost. Just, just things they've been doing that have been very unfair. So I, I think it's uh, high time that people, you know, kind of recognize what they're doing and, yeah. and have an unfavorable Opinion of them. So interesting fact of the Which week. Which leads us to our next topic. Leads us right up into Trump's trade war with China. And will it be worth the fight? I think that's a that's a great question. Yeah, this uh, is written by James Schultz. He, he is actually a CNN legal commentator. He's uh, chair of the government and regulatory practice at a uh, law firm up in Philadelphia. He served uh, as the senior associate counsel and special assistant uh, to the uh, president in the, the White House. Uh, under the current administration, and um, these opinions they say in this article are his own, so it doesn't necessarily mean CNN agrees with this. But Steve, for years um, and through multiple presidential administrations, Clinton, Bush, Obama, the uh, United States has naively looked away um, from China as it's cheated its way basically to an unfair advantage, like you mentioned, uh, in the international trade market. And it took a long time to get this point. It's not going to take, uh, and it's not going to be fixed overnight. So, you know, if you look at this this approach um, by the current administration to the uh, to the trade policy, United States is in a good position uh, to make up for some of these misguided policies of the past. And you know, if you look at the outcome, it's resulted in millions of lost jobs and thousands of shuttered factories in the U.S. And so as long as there's a, a level playing field, I mean, I think that's what everybody's looking for, but uh, it's not coming easy. No, it's not, you know, and it's not going to be fixed overnight, as you pointed out. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, as he points out here in this article, you know, a bad day or bad week on Wall Street's not an indication that the policy, this trade war is failing. Um, market volatility is neither a surprise nor a reason for, you know, us to head for the lifeboats in terms of, of our dealings with China. Um, you know, markets are going to react and they're going to fluctuate with U.S. as U.S. and China go back and forth on these trade negotiations. And it's it's just a fact of life. Markets are volatile anyway, and markets do hate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, <clears throat> this, these tra- this trade war does bring up more and more uncertainty. And, um, you know, markets don't like that. So we're going to have to, you know, deal with some pain if we're going to, you know, set this on the right track. Yeah, as the U.S. Treasury Department reported back in May, um, there has been and is a a very large and widening bilateral trade imbalance between China and the United States. And it's not as though China hasn't had a chance to change its ways. It's simply chose not to. Um, by you know, ignoring the G20 commitment to fair trade and uh, you know not dumping products below cost on the U.S. markets, and also they still intellectual property. So you know these are all things that uh, they've had a choice um, to do. They just haven't made any changes. Yeah, and China has also recently been labeled as a currency manipulator by the Treasury Department. This is nothing new. They've been manipulating their currency for twenty, you know, thirty years now, I believe. And uh, the Chinese government that they're not. 
Um, there's not the free market that sets the currency value of their their dollar against our dollar. Um, when currents when China allows their currency to fall in an attempt to boost their exports, American companies and workers pay the price. Is what he's pointing out here, and I think he's right. You know, I mean, China's been doing that over and over again for years now. Yeah. So by only only by applying pressure will China be motivated to change its destructive trade habits. United States will apply an additional tariff of about 10 percent on a, another 300 billion of Chinese goods uh, effective September the 1st and some effective the 15th of December. Um, and this puts a squeeze right where it needs to be on China. Uh, the delay in tariffs on some of the Chinese goods, uh, pushing it back to the December, uh, the president just announced is not a strategic is strategic and is not a retreat necessarily. It was done to avoid the uh, impact of the holiday season uh, on the American consumers. So American retailers and consumers will likely not get you know stuck with the extra cost for those goods tariffed in uh, in December. In December, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, something had to be done, and I think he points that out here and makes a good point that, um, you know, rather than capitulate to the, you know, predications of uh, the recession and the calamity, I mean, we need to stay the course. We need to continue to add the tariffs on Chinese goods um, is what he's saying here. And, um, you know, we just can't allow China to continue to have its way with our economy as it has for quite a long time here. And I, I think he makes a good point there. Yeah, and I just saw that, um, I, I've, you know, you, we read industry, you know, magazines and articles all the time. Uh, there are manufacturers that are starting to, to relocate their operations from China to other places. So, I mean, right. it's definitely impacting. It is having an impact. Producers are looking uh, past this. And there was also... Uh, this next little little discussion here is about the farmers are feeling the brunt um, of this, and, and um, the administration stepped in to assist with about $15 billion in subsidies for farmers. They also just signed a pact with Japan as well this last week um, to help help the farmers as well. So um, the good news is that USDA predicts a 10% increase in farm profit in 2019, um, and that's according to the USDA Economic Research Service. So it's important to, to view the current trade war with with the context uh, of the administration's broader trade policy. For, for example, you know, if we uh, focus only on farming, you know, the president negotiated U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, which if Congress, you know, approves, will provide farmers, you know, a fairer market to export their goods to those countries. So there hasn't been a lot of coverage of these other deals that have been done. And they've been been good deals for the American consumer and, and, uh, you know, products. Yeah, I think they're working hard behind the scenes. Um, So, you know, we just kind of have to be patient. Um, And perhaps one of the reasons why Trump support among farmers is strong is um is because of this because despite the trade war's impact on their bottom line um they do see him you know working behind the scenes and they think that um it will be good for him long term according to a recent survey 78% of farmers said they believe the trade war will ultimately benefit US agriculture mm, yeah. so it just goes to show that you know, it's it is there is some support out there for it. Yeah, and I mean, China appears ready for a long fight, um, but there are indications it's already feeling the, the the strain. Tech companies, at least fifty to date, 
They're in the process of moving significant portions of their manufacturing operations out of China and back to other countries in an effort to get from under the U.S. tariffs. And it seems that our choice is clear. We stay in this for the long haul. Uh, you know, it's it's to ensure that American businesses can, can compete on a uh, fair playing field or we panic and continue to allow China to, to play with a corked bat. So, um, you know, this is, in his opinion, sound trade policy. And, um, you know, I think, Steve, this has been going on for a long time and it is painful to go through it. Markets certainly don't like uncertainty. I, I do personally think there'll be a deal at some point. Uh, who right. knows if it's going to be this week or next month or next year, but um, I think it's in the interest of both countries to you know sit down at the table and come up with a fair uh, agreement. Yeah, and I hope it. I hope the election doesn't throw a kink into this, you know, next year, because um, this is a long game. This isn't something that you really can win, I think, in just a couple years. Um, you know, you got to kind of set the stage and and, and let this play out over many years. And hopefully, regardless of who wins the election next year, they'll continue the policy of keeping tariffs in place until China starts playing fair. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's my hope. And um, and I also hope that, you know, it doesn't drive us into recession. Um, I think it won't if if it just kind of, you know, plays this slowly and predictably over time. Um, I think, you know, the American economy and the stock market will respond yeah. accordingly, you know, and, and the economy is strong. We do still have the lowest unemployment in, you know, almost 50 years. So, um, you know, I mean, I think this is a fight worth fighting. I do, too. I do, too. It's, uh, again, the short-term pain for long-term gain. So, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. I, I do think there, there'll be a resolution before the election yeah i, I do yeah, i hope I mean, so. that's my personal opinion Who knows? yeah that that's certainly my hope too i'm just not sure china's gonna let it get there yeah i think they're hoping that they can <clears throat> run out the clock on the election and uh but uh but i think i think there's you know our administration's smarter than that and i think they'll they'll kind of you know play this you know long term <clears throat> and not let that happen so anyway, uh, good topic. That leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, um, we see more and more Roth uh, 401ks available. And so the question is, is should I invest in the Roth uh, or just do pre-tax? And, um, and we always like um, Roth options in 401ks. You know, when you get a match from a company, that match will always be in pre-tax money. You don't have a choice on that. So, yeah, I think if you have the opportunity to put in Roth, uh, certainly do it. You're gonna, right. you're not gonna, uh, you're paying your tax bill today, basically. So you're not gonna have as much discretionary income. But if your budget can afford, you know, that amount, then absolutely do it. When you get into retirement and you have a nice chunk of change in Roth money, you'll probably be happy. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, a Roth IRA is tax-free forever. Yes. You know, so you put it in, you don't get a tax deduction on the front end, but it's tax-free forever. So, you know, if you're a young person out there listening, I mean, think about this. You know, we have, you know, a huge debt at the federal level. We're running huge deficits. At some point, taxes are probably going to have to be higher. Um, so, you know, tax-free forever is is pretty appealing mm-hmm. when you start thinking 20 years out, 30 years out. Um, so I would highly encourage people to take advantage of the Roth. It depends on your situation, of course. Everybody's different. Um, but if you have a lot of money already in pre-tax accounts, it's time to build up some Roth because Roth money gives you a lot more flexibility in retirement. It gives you the option to take some of your money tax-free to kind of control your tax situation when you're taking chunks of money out to take a vacation 
or you know buy a new car or something. So it's kind of uh, like tax diversification. Exactly. So yeah, I'm a big fan yes, of putting the <clears throat> good chunk of your money in a Roth, if not if not all of it, for a young person. Good question of the week, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is um, some billion-dollar companies, John, just a decade ago are now penny stocks. Mm. Um, Yeah, this is an article from Matt Krantz uh, very recently, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, people get lured into buying stocks for dividends, thinking that, you know, even if the stock goes down, they'll still get this great dividend as income until it recovers, John, you know, and you look at some big companies and, and there are some attractive companies out there even today like that, like General Electric, for instance, you know, but, but then there are other, you know, stock pickers who will chase these big blue chip stocks all the way down um, and, and, you know, that have fallen on hard times thinking that they're too big to fail and they're eventually going to recover. Well, you know, there's sometimes uh, these are referred to as falling angels. And, you know, sometimes these gambles do actually pay off. Um, but when they don't pay off, you can be left with nothing. You can be left with ashes. Um, so of course, I mean, that's always the danger with picking individual stocks and not being properly diversified. So we're going to take a look at six, six companies here that used to be worth over a billion dollars at the beginning of this decade that have now been reduced to penny stocks. And we're going to take a look at what happened to a few of these billion-dollar companies. So, of course, past performance doesn't guarantee future results. Um, these are just examples. These are not recommendations for any particular investment strategy. So we want to give that disclosure. But very interesting examples nonetheless. Yeah, some of these docs were really attractive a couple of years ago. They were in the uh, S&P 500 uh, index, and they were down. Um, and when a stock price is down and they're paying a dividend, that means the dividend yield goes up. So it's attractive to some folks. Uh, JCPenney is an example, Frontier Communications. Uh, they were big stal- stalwart uh, companies just four or five years ago that investors were sure would eventually regain their sea legs in this new economy of Internet shopping and, and mobile data. However, however, nothing could be further from the truth uh, so far. That's right. Yeah, based on analysis from Investors Business Daily, here are six members of the Standard & Poor's 500 um, market <clears throat> that commanded over a billion dollars of market value or greater when the decade began just 10 years ago, um, only to become penny stocks now. And, uh, you know, suffering all these these kind of losses is all the more painful given the fact that, you know, the S&P 500 has been on a pretty good run for the past five years. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, the economy is enjoying, enjoying the longest ever, you know, expansion. Um, and some of the top performing stocks were up massively since then. However, you know, they're always the big winners in the bull market, right? And the best stocks from 2009 are up tremendously. In fact, the the, the top stock, I can't, they didn't mention what it is here, would have turned $1,000 into $76,000. <laughs> so it's like gambling. Know, right? It is like gambling. It you know, is. the top stock is always going to yeah. be some huge winner, you know, if we only could go back in time, right? <laughs> Um, but, of course, there are also huge losers, you know, in every market, and you never know which ones are going to fall on the other side of that precipice. Um, so, as we just mentioned, you know, one of those falling on the wrong side of history is J.C. Penney. That was the department store was founded by the innovator James Cash Penney. Um 
back a very long time ago. I mean, this must have been one of the saddest stocks in the S&P 500. Um, the company entered the decade valued <clears throat> at over $6 billion. Um, that means it was worth more than some of the largest retailers currently in the S&P 500 until it fell on hard times. Yeah, there was a series of fumbles, poor management, team choices, falling profits, and it really punished the the stock price um, down below a dollar per share, and it was down 98% from uh, the end of 2009. And the retailer stock was removed from the S&P 500 in, in late 2013. Shares are down a crushing 44% this year alone. So JCPenney is now considered a small cap stock, and it's worth less than $200 million in total uh, and it's a member of a uh, you know small cap index now, so, so it's really a penny stock. Today. Yes, tiny. Ouch, J.C. Penney's is a penny stock. I hate <laughs> to see it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Another retailer though that suffered a similar fate, John, is called Asenia, Asina. I guess is how you pronounce it. Retail. Um. But they run uh very popular brands. Um. Ann Taylor, Dress Barn, Justice. They came into the decade valued at one point seven billion dollars. Um, had a string of relentless losses that knocked the stock down 98% for the decade mm. and uh, some 89% this year. Um, and the stock's uh, rating, you know, fell to the lowest possible rating um, of one for this composite stock rating. And uh, But you don't have to blame, you know, a tough market, though. I mean, the S&P 500 um, has been had some nice gains since then and recently. And you actually can't fault the retail industry either because the retail index is up over 100% for the last decade as well. So despite that, um, some of these retailers just got killed. Yeah. Another one here that's not a retailer is Frontier Communications. It's uh, mostly wire line telecom uh, companies in rural areas and uh, looked like a, a dividend darling back in 2009. Uh, and after all, the company was a member of the S&P 500 until 2017. Unfortunately, the company totally missed out on the wireless data boom and as a result was really reduced to ashes after rural America started dropping their landlines. And in 2009, the stock yielded uh, a seemingly too good to be true 13%. There's a, wow. There, there's, there's a reason why I was yielding 13%, which you right. know, turned out to be too good to be true. Uh, shares of the Frontier um, Communications are down 98% from late 2009 to under a buck again. And, and following a number of dividend cuts, investors don't have the yield as comfort either as a company doesn't pay a dividend at all anymore. So, again, when stock prices drop and there's a company paying a dividend, the yield's going to go up. So it does look attractive, but it's attractive for a reason, and usually those reasons aren't real positive. That's right. Yeah, and it just goes to show how unpredictable things are because the telecom industry in general has done pretty well. I mean, you know, as you've had 4G and mm-hmm. now 5G is right on the cusp of coming out. Um, you know, of course, for 40 years, the telecom industry has been through massive reorganizations as the old AT&T was broken up in the early 80s into the eight baby bells. Then it spun off into more smaller companies. Since then, many of them have merged and the wireless industry has concentrated back into the hands of a few large companies like Verizon, which now dominate a large segment of the industry. However, over the years, the current survivors have proven to be an unpredictable lot. Um, you know, along the way, we've seen the likes of MCI WorldCom. Remember them? Mm-hmm. Um, AT&T Wireless, Lucent Technologies, 
all of those fell victim and many others on the wrong side of this emerging technology and fell into bankruptcy or brought were bought for pennies on the dollar. Um, now we're on the cusp of the latest evolution of 5G wireless, you know, which promises a hundred times the speed of our current 4G wireless. Um, you know, there's little doubt that some of the pleasant prep, present players will be future penny stocks if they miss this massive wave sweeping through the industry. So it just shows goes to show. I mean, you know, industries are very unpredictable. You know, when you go try to pick individual stocks yeah. out there. Yeah, it's it <clears throat> it is like gambling. That that's why people recommend diversifying and doesn't mean that you're not gonna have some down times, but you know, being down ninety eight percent that Ouch. that wrecks a lot of stuff. That can ruin your retirement. So you can't let that happen to your to your uh your investments. Um, and then, you know, there's oil, John. I mean, I mean, what could have possibly gone wrong with an industry only a decade ago that was looking at ever increasing demand mm-hmm. with more and more limited supplies? Yeah. You know, if there was ever a home run industry as an example in Economics 101, oil and gas was it. Yeah. It never right? changed, right? Never changed. It was steady. You know, just a little over a decade ago, oil hit $150 a barrel. Remember those days back Mm -hmm. in 2007? Um, All the energy experts were predicting that the growing demand in Asia was going to outstrip supplies, leading to an an oil well over $200 a barrel in a very short period of time. You know, any investment in oil and gas seemed like an absolute no-brainer. Furthermore, you know, any play in this industry, which included high dividends appear to be simply icing on this delicious cake. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but then came the rapid changes in drilling technology. Yeah, this is why folks like us recommend diversifying and Dave Ramsey. I mean, in a matter of five years, Steve, fracking and horizontal drilling created a glut of new oil supplies. And all of a sudden, old wells were productive again. And at the same time, alternative energy supplies started to take root and solar energy became uh, you know, a real player in energy production. And oh, by the way, the U.S. is now a net energy producer. Producer. Right? I mean, yeah. t- 10 years ago, it, it's just completely flipped. And, it's unfathomable yeah. 10 years ago. It's yeah. Just how much that's changed. So, yeah. I mean, so, you know, before long, I mean, oversupplying drilling equipment devastated players in the oil and gas industry. Um, so Superior Energy is another one of these examples we have. You know, it's a company that posted losses for the past four years. It's predicted to lose money again this year and next year. Shares are down a brutal 98% to less than a dollar from a decade ago. Mm. Um, and that knocks the company's market value down to just $74 million, while it was worth almost $2 billion a decade ago. Um so, again, you know, it might be tempting to blame the energy sector, you know, which certainly, you know, is, is partially true. But, you know, energy is still up a little bit over the past decade, you know, 1.6 percent. Um, so it's just a reminder that if you're not diversified and you're out there bottom fishing for dividends, it's only a matter of time before you're going to hit one of these stocks that go from, you know, a small dip to a disaster. And you're never going to see the light of day again with those stocks. Um, So the moral of the story here is not to chase the high dividend stocks. Always stay well diversified. Um, You know, the the truth is high dividend stocks are usually paying a high dividend for a very good reason. It's because they're high risk and they're in trouble. Um, So, you know, there's no disadvantage to taking your income from capital gains instead of dividends. 
So again, don't be lured by high dividend stocks. You got to stay diversified. Good topic. A good topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is to, um, you know, first of all, have a will or a trust or some document, legal document that, uh, uh, you know, communicate your your wishes um, and share that. Share your your estate plan with your family. Discuss the uh, the location. Um, you know, if you go to our website, um, uh, ry excuse me, invest com, we have a little uh, link over to the right hand side. That says tools, financial tools. We actually have a financial account inventory sheet. It's a place that you can document all of your your information, phone numbers, account numbers, locations. Um, and it's a way that you can, on a one page, have a summary that you can then share, obviously, with your spouse, but also your kids. Uh, my kids are 22 and 25 now. And we're starting to have these conversations. Uh, we're not promised tomorrow. We never know um, right. when something could happen. So it's just important to have those plans documented and then communicated. And you can also share some of your values and do some teaching along that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I just sat down with a couple last night, you know, talking about, you know, what their mom wanted to happen with with her assets. She recently passed away. And, uh, you know, it helps that they've had that conversation with her because now they know what she wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 they're you know, it's a lot more likely to happen if you have that conversation with your family about, hey, this is the way we have our estate plan set up. This is the way we want things to go when we pass away. You know, this is the, this is what we want these certain funds or assets to be used for. Um, you give yourself a lot better chance of that actually carrying through and, and happening. So, um, yeah, that's a great, great prescription of the week is to communicate your estate plan with your family and keep the lines of communication open. Yep. So good topic. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.